All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 15th of December, 2018, and that makes this... 208! Um, hey, Ralph, 208, plug it in. 208, Ralph, all right. <laughs> Hold on a second. got to turn up the volume here on my, my headphone. There we go. Wow, I got that new new control there. My my audio didn't change at all, did it? No, it didn't. All right, all right. That's pretty cool. We got this new button here <clears throat> on the microphone that you recommended. Pete, this is probably our last episode for, well, certainly our last episode for 2018, so we've got to do a bit of a retrospective. It's also a bit of a kind of a potpourri, kind of a miscellaneous kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And it's a year-end wrap-up. It's a year-end year end wrap-up. And, we, and you, we've, you've got a lot to wrap up. But first, you got to tell us about how you survived the horrible fires out there in California. They came quite close to you, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. But first, Bill, I, I do want to wish you a happy holiday. Happy holiday to you, Pete. You bet. Pete, you has, bet. Pete, Pete has a very festive bit of headgear on, and it's uh, it's very much in the holiday spirit. So that's good, good Pete. A- absolutely. Uh, okay, about the fire. About the fire. You know, uh, several things come out uh, of a situation like this. It, it was just sort of like out of the blue. I looked. I I was looking out my kitchen window and I saw this big black cloud and the sun was out. And I said, wait a minute, (laughs) that's not right. So I go to the end of the street and that black cloud was smoke and, and the, the fire, uh, what they call the hill fire was only about two and a half miles from my house. And it, and it kind of burnt all around the house, two and a half miles. And there was talk of evacuation. So this prompted some things such as, what do you take if someone says, okay, you, you got 15 minutes to evacuate. What do you take? And um, Soldering iron. I've, yeah, soldering iron, of course, in a rig. Yeah, <laughs> which rig? But, uh, Sprat, but I, you can I, bring Sprat magazine. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> I managed to get together a bunch of stuff. And as a matter of fact, on the, uh, on the blog, I included a list of what you need to do. So next time, I'm going to be ready. Uh, I can do it in 15 minutes. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is I got to meet a lot of the neighbors because, like at the at night, six o'clock, <clears throat> excuse me, we'd go down to the uh, end of the street and look at the fire. And uh, the fire to the direct south of us is is right in the Santa Monica Mountains, and the other side of that is just the Pacific Ocean. So we were relatively close. It was so interesting because after living here almost six years, I got to meet the neighbors. And of course, I should tell you. I, I was out there in my beret, Bill. You know, it was that kind of weather. I had my beret on. And and this this woman from the other street comes over to me and says, Hi, I'm Becky. I don't think I know you. I, so I introduced myself. So this, you, better, this you, friend better, of, you better leave that beret at home. That's what beret's going to get you into trouble, man. So this, this friend of mine nudged me and said, he says, she does that to all new meat. So he said, don't feel like you're alone. Hey, so, I, do, I, I, I know. I know it's a family show, but I just want to tell you, it is a chick magnet. It does work. I saw ads. I was going to send you this. I got uh, the New Yorker magazine. And in the back, in the ads of the New York magazine, they have a, a, a beret just like yours. This guy's wearing it. And he's got this grin on his face. And they're selling them for about 16 bucks. And it says, yeah. European beret. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. It works. It really does work. So, so anyway, but uh, after after about uh, almost six days, the uh, the fire got abated. The the police and fire departments did an absolutely amazing job, Bill. I, I've never seen such coordination. You go to the end of the street, you'd see these police officers from two hundred miles away, in my neighborhood, directing traffic or preventing people from going down there. I mean, it was totally coordinated, and I just sat there amazed, and I say, thank you. 
thank you for what you do because they they were really a lifesaver and uh, courteous people answer questions like you'd say you know hey what does this look like instead of saying i don't know they say well here's the latest information i mean it's very very well done and i hats off to them they did an amazing job well you had a lot of people looking out for you all around the world pete there was messages coming in uh, people were getting all kinds of expressions of concern i tried to relay what i knew about your uh, your status and but, yeah. but you, a lot the, the solder smoke community was looking out for you too so that's great oh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. i'm yes. glad glad you guys were spared so yep. Wow. Hopefully there won't be another one for a long time. Is the fire season over yet? Uh, well, supposedly, but uh, then you get the rain season. If you recall, a year ago, we had the Ventura fire, and, right. and they only only one person was killed as a result of the fire, but the rain and mudslides killed 22 people. Oh, man. So, you know, that's a, it, it did rain, so that was, a, uh, that was a problem subsequently, and there were some mudslides that were of serious uh, consequence. So, yeah, it's, it's not over yet. We, uh, we love the rain. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is, Partly where you can see where the fire area is, it's green because we got two days of rain. <laughs> it's green. <laughs> That's unusual green. out there. Yeah, I mean, it's I, green. I, I have I have nephews out in the San Diego area, and they they love to come east. And the first thing they say when they get here is they say, "Wow, it's green." Yeah. And we don't green. we're not we're not aware of that, but um, yeah. I'm glad you got some green there. Hey, hey, hey pull hey, your mic out. Pull your mic out just a little bit. Okay. There before- we go. We, we get too far. I, I want to share something with you, and this is a little early shameless commerce division. All right. I, I went to Amazon looking, and I searched on ham radio gifts. And, Bill, it's amazing all the wonderful T-shirts they have <laughs> on Amazon for not a lot of money. So if you're looking for a gift, what do you do? Go to the Solder Smoke blog, look it up right-hand corner, click on Amazon, and gonna, search for Ham Radio Gifts. Or you could go down on the left side to Cafe Press, and we have some right. specific Solder Smoke t-shirts. There you go. There but you go. I, I got something else to mention. As long as you've got this into, this is not really shameless commerce, but this is useful information that people need to know more about. And I'm referring to Pasta Pete. They yep. need to know more about this. Yep. You know... I think you guys over the years now have come to realize that Pete Giuliano is a man of many talents. We've had him on with his guitar. He hasn't been singing for us yet, but <laughs> you know, he's got all kinds of talents we're going to talk about the SSB transceivers in a little bit, but he is also a very talented cook, mostly of Italian food. <clears throat> and so he has a separate website called pasta Pete. One word. Yeah. Well, if you go down to the to the to the to the solder smoke blog, go to the right column, go all the way down where I'm listing the other blogs, and you'll see Eric Guth, four Z one UG, and all the other blogs that of of friends and blogs that we'd like to follow. And then right down there at the bottom, you'll see the link to Pasta Pete. So that'll take you there. And it's remarkable how famous Pete has become. I don't know if we, we talked about this on the on the podcast, but he was recently in a supermarket in Southern California, and he was checking out, and the person behind him in the checkout line looked and said, "Hey, is it? Could it be? Aren't aren't you Pasta Pete?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I'm telling you, you got more of a chance to get a Discovery Channel program with the pasta than you do with yeah. the radios. Yeah, you're right. The only the only reason I mentioned the the Amazon with the T-shirts, there are some great sayings in there. One of them says, "May the Morse be with you." Oh yes. <laughs> it says, 
I am a genius, therefore I am a ham. (laughs) (laughs) Or you get the one that gets you in trouble. It says, I don't need Google. My wife knows everything. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Not not recommended. Anyway, I was looking for some, looking through that, and I said, wow, I got to mention that tomorrow. Anyway, we've got to check off the shameless commerce division. Well, we're going to go back to that. We've got a few more things to talk about there. Okay. But, but we'll do that at the mid-show. But I, I have a little bit of travelogue. We've actually been doing a bit of traveling. We, we used to do this a lot when we were in Europe, but we haven't been traveling that much. But we recently took a trip up to the Big Apple and to a part of the Big Apple that we never have gone to before, Brooklyn. You know, when I, my, my grandmother lived in the Bronx, which is another part of New York City. She lived there for 60 years, and she never once, never once went to Brooklyn, which is another Ooh. part of New York City. And so for, even when, when I was there, Brooklyn was considered a remote and dangerous province that yeah. only foolish people went to. Uh, or you had to have an Italian surname. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was different. So we, I, 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 you know, I've probably been to Brooklyn two or three times. I don't think I ever spent the night in Brooklyn, but my wife had to go to a, a gardening, a garden design, landscape design uh, meeting up at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. And so off we went. We jumped in the car, drove up there, got a got a Airbnb in Prospect Park uh, Park Slope in Brooklyn, and man, it was it was really beautiful. It was nice. It's amazing. That 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 part of Brooklyn was 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 really very impressive. The Brooklyn Museum, the Brooklyn Library. Uh, we we had a great time. Uh, we went up to up to the Bronx to visit with my my daughter. We got to see uh, cousin Brianna, who's in medical school in New York. And uh, I got up to to uh, north of the city to visit my mom, so it was a great great visit. Uh, not much ham radio related, but uh, but still, I, I did bring my two meter rig with me on the trip because we drove up. So it's it's, you know, it's about a four four hour drive from here up to to, to Brooklyn. But uh, I was on the air two meter simplex from the car. Didn't do too well. <laughs> I guess I needed an external antenna. I mean, having all that RF bottled up inside the car is not going to work. But I figured I'd give it a try. I did get one nibble. I think we were going over the Delaware Memorial Bridge, so you're way up, way up high, right? And you could just see all this terrain around you. I think I probably would have done better if I put the mag mount antenna outside the car. And also, I'm using this tiny little Baofeng uh, transceiver, the UVR5, I think, uh, like that. It's a tiny little thing. It goes, does 440 and 2 meters. And uh, I, I, it got me interested. I think I, I especially like this idea of two meter simplex uh, because it's simple and basic stuff. So I'm thinking he's reaching over. He's gonna he's gonna pull out his Baofeng. He's gonna show me his Baofeng. Oh, there it is. There he is. All right. You got to get the long antenna. Yeah, but you, but if you walk around that with that in your hand, it negates the impact of the beret. Oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> You got to be careful. I mean, you can you can live in one world or the other. You can't combine the two. But anyway, that was uh, I I I called CQ several times from the car. I only got one nibble, but then he disappeared from the scene. But I bet you if I had a kind of a an external antenna out there, it would be more fun. So I might give that give that more of a try. You, you got to try something different. You got to get out of the rut. So uh, I am I do find myself getting interested in two meters. What else is you, new, Pete? You, you got to get on the Winlink in on two meters. That's the worldwide network of all those repeaters. Then you can work DX. Yeah, I know that. I, that's like like 
and then you hear about D Star and everything else. But I think yeah, I I, I, I kind of like the simplex because the simple thing in it. You know, yeah, like, yeah. There you go. Old, there you go. Old radio. Okay, we got. We'll talk about this during the during the mailbag. But I got an email from a fellow to this morning talking about uh, the the joys of uh, software defined radio, and uh, I must say, I'm not convinced. I mean, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Hey, um, anything else? I wanted to mention something else, a kind of a blast from the past. Uh, this is really kind of fun. Many years ago, we did something here based on an idea from our old friend Alan from Australia, who I think now is living up in the Bay Area. But it was the Trivial Electric Motor. It was just a little magnet. You made a little coil. You hooked it up to a 9-volt power source. And, man, this thing would operate as a, as a motor if you built it properly. And I remember building one with my with my son when he was a little guy, and we put it up on the blog. Well, now he's off in college, and he's doing volunteer work with poor kids in the community. And a couple of weeks ago, he came back and he said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm looking for like science projects, simple stuff that we can do with the kids. And I said, there you go. electric motor. I still had the bits, the parts of it. The original that we built was still floating around the shack. But I decided to make an updated version, a better one. So I had some, uh, I had the same magnets, and then I, I had, so, I had this kind of thick aluminum stock that our friend uh, Jim AL7RV, now W8NSA, had sent to me. But it was perfect because I could cut it with a tin shear, but it was rigid enough that it would form like good supports for both sides. I drilled little holes in there to hold the uh, kind of the ends of the uh, of the, I guess, the armature. And man, that thing worked great. I'm going to put up, I think that'll be the video for this week's podcast. I'm going to put it up there so you can see the new and improved version of the Trivial Electric Motor. Billy is coming back today from college. So when he gets here, I'm going to ask for a report on how the Trivial Electric Motor went over with the kids. I hope it's, I hope they find it more interesting than the iPhone. Uh, uh <laughs> tell them to take data <laughs> take data hey i built one of those long 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 time ago and and they work they really really work it's really cool and, and i i actually had one when I, I told them i said you could put a little propeller on there yeah, or something yeah. or some sort of like little vortex thing it could be could be fun but uh, anyway i thought that would be good because it's a very hands-on it's a very kind of physical you and you could explain it you could say okay it becomes a permanent magnet when it's in this position, but then as it moves a little bit further, you break contact because you got the enamel on the enameled wire, and then boom, its cycle starts over again and around. Why will? Why will? It's really, really pretty cool. So, anyway, blast from the past. I'll put that up. Have you been on the air, Pete? Yeah, but the what? bands are kind of quiet. Forty meters mostly. Bands Forty meters is quiet. weird. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, forty is usually good, like all day, and then it changes a little bit, but it's all night. But but lately, I find myself coming in here after dark, and I turn on 40, and there's like nothing on there. I mean, I can hear the broadcast stations up at the top of the band, but it's been pretty pretty poor on 40. But the weird thing is the numbers look good. When you yeah. look, I just checked this morning, and this morning, the solar flux index was 71, which is fairly good for this part of the cycle. The sunspot number was 12. There are spots. You take a look at there's a picture of the sun and you can see spots along there. The A index was three and the K index was zero. So that should be pretty good. It, it actually should allow for some contacts even on, on 20, perhaps even 17 meters. So um, 
I don't know. The, the numbers look bad, but but maybe give it a shot. I, I've been talking to Italy on 40. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, it must be harder from California, but from here, it's not that bad. So it, I, what I what I found is interesting. You'll you'll not hear anything. Then you hear a really loud station. Yeah. And then it's like the band is dead, and and yeah. nothing in close. I've I've been hearing a lot a lot on the East Coast, but not real strong. Yeah, it goes it goes long. But the Italians were two two Italian stations were coming in real well, and this one poor guy was he was kind of uh, there was a U.S. station where that was trying to engage in kind of a long somewhat technical conversation with him and he, he just came back and he said look my english is really limited i could just really give you the report so i, I had to jump in and I, I i dusted off my now very rusty italian and did you talk with your hands i found myself <laughs> i found myself talking with my hands but it was uh, it was kind of fun i think i made myself understood and i think he appreciated the uh the opportunity to, to have a contact in other than english so that was fun uh, let, let me just share a quick story with you. There's a guy out in Illinois or Indiana has a 30-element wire beam on 40 meters. 30? 30-element. He's got a big, big piece of lead. When that guy comes on, the radio jumps off the top of the disc. Yeah, 30-element wire beam. But it must be, it must be, but it must the, the, the width must be so narrow that he's only pointed at about four or five stations. <laughs> well, he's pointed to the West Coast or okay. like over the West Coast to Australia and, and New wow. Zealand. Wow. You know, Holy cow. Well, when he comes on, you know he's there. I mean, he, he really He's a tall ship. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I worked him QRP. Wow. Five watts. Really? The 30 element beam not only works good on transmit. It's doing doing all the heavy lifting. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad you've been on the air. I, I've I've been on 40 every once in a while. I've been on on 60 also. I check in with the uh, the moose and squirrel net that we think we mentioned last. Oh week. yeah. The guys hey, with, today's the day, right? Yeah, today's the day. I don't know. I, we'll we'll see what's happening around noontime here. They get on Saturday at noon, and a lot of these guys are way up in New England, and I have a tough time. <laughs> Here in the net control, I hear some of the stations that are closer to me, but it's sometimes kind of difficult. But it's a fun bunch. They've got the the old uh, military radios going, so it's 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 kind of interesting. They're not my kind of radios, but uh, you know, you've never really been into the military gear, have you? No. Nah, no. It's kind of well, I don't know. It's they're they're kind of bulky and clunky, and I, I, clunky, I don't know. yeah. yeah I and don't most know. of them, most of it's upper sideband, so it, sixty yeah. meters is good, but not too good for forty. Because a lot of them, you'll see it's two to twelve megahertz, like the ANPR forty-seven. Yeah, is two to twelve megahertz, twenty watts, perfect rig, but upper sideband. But it's great for sixty meters. Yeah, and, and on sixty, I, I might have mentioned this, but they have to use the uh, the the middle channel because it's uh, even 5357 is the only one that's even so it's kind of a fortuitous yeah. thing but that 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 was that was kind of kind of interesting Bullwinkle and Natasha by the way I'm I'm listening across 40 meters and the guy was talking about he thought that there was a ham on it wasn't licensed he said must be one of those squirrels uh-oh. <laughs> oh. Kind of squirrely. Yeah. Yeah, I said, oh. Bullwinkle J. Moose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you Probably go. not. Probably a pirate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Pete, it is time for our retrospective. And I think it's important that we note here that you, for you, this has been 2018, the year of the SSB transceiver. And yes. what a year it has been. Yes. How many? Well, we 
it's hard because I've built some. <laughs> I, I've built so many, but some of them I'll build and then not be terribly satisfied with them. So I disassemble them and build another one. So does that count as one or two? But if you count as distinct radios, six. Six SSB transceivers. Yeah, six during 2018. Yes, that, that's really impressive. Yeah. So uh, tell us, what are your conclusions from this 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 year long burst of building? What have you come away with? What kind of conclusions? What, you know, anything new learned, lessons learned from this, this whole project? Tell us. Well, it, it affirms that uh, building rigs and modules makes a lot of sense because when you're building that many, you're going to have not everything works the first time. So you have to uh, do some troubleshooting. And I got to tell you, it's a lot easier to troubleshoot at the module level than it is you got this whole big one board with all these parts, and where do you start? The other thing is, is I've discovered certain uh, modules work really well, but in, in my quest, I've come up with uh, uh, some new uh, pre-driver and driver stages. And uh, I, I really have found, and, and the thing that's interesting about the pre-driver and driver stages, they're actually spice simulations. So you can not only build the hardware, but if you want to change something, the first thing you do is go into spice, not the hardware. So I, I, I see the I have used spice extensively this year. And uh, the other thing too is is I've worked hard on making some circuit improvements. I, the single two and thirty nine oh four mic amplifier, I, I've got a configuration now that just produces absolutely amazing audio. It's got a flat response, and it's not just throw a couple of throw a transistor and a couple caps in there and you got it. I've taken the time to look at the spice simulations. So I think if the single biggest aspect of building so many rigs is to link this with the real science behind it. All right. There there's, you can look at a rig and say, look at an element of that rig and say, here's the spice simulation. This is how this will perform. And I think that that's a, uh, uh, that, that's very, been very useful and beneficial. By the way, the sudden transceiver part, Two, the transmitter is in publication. Uh, Sprat, the Nick Sprat will be hitting the streets here very shortly. And look at my website, N6QW. Yeah, here you go. The next uh, next edition <clears throat> will be coming out. It's in, uh, I saw a cover uh, that they, they sent me. So this is what it's going to look like. And part two is the transmitter. And uh, the website will be updated with the uh, part two information. So I, in retrospect, I think it's just some ref circuit refinements, uh, a link to the simulation, to the to the actual electronics, to the actual circuit uh, specifics, and uh, most of them have been on nine megahertz. Although we've had a few on some other um, IF frequencies, so uh, lots of fun. Explored some things this year. I learned how to do two VFOs. Two, VF two, two VFOs. Two VFOs. How to not lose the information with two VFOs. So that's worked out quite well. Yep. I'm looking at your article here. It's really a, it's, 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 it's a beautiful article in Sprat. It's in the August 2018 issue of Sprat, issue 176. As we always say, if you're a home brewer and you're not subscribing to Sprat. You're wrong. That, you're wrong. It's <laughs> like the old drill sergeant used to say, you're just wrong. And Pete's got a, got beautiful pictures. And I love the front panel. I wish they could have published it in yellow. You could have got the, the Julie yellow and the color of the TFT display that you have in there. But, um, but really, really nice and good, good block diagrams. And I see all the modules you got there 
and uh, been, but, but really terrific. And I, I like what you said, Pete, about having it being the link to the science and the LT yeah. spice adding the link to the science. And I guess this is one of my kind of misgivings about the the whole SDR world because I think I just think that we're moving when we go the deeper we get into SDR the further we get away from the physics of radio from the physical side of radio and I think with rigs like the ones that you've been building you're very close to it because you're you know you're taking that signal and you're you're mixing it you're sending it through filters you're amplifying it um, you're filtering it again and all of that you're you're really close to the RF, you're close to the to the signal all the way through. Whereas with the SDR rigs, I mean, I think more and more, it's you 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 do you set up the antenna, you got to pull it in through the antenna, but then bang, it hits an uh, uh, analog to digital converter that turns it into a digital stream. It goes into the computer, and there it's it's handled by software that for most people. They never had anything to do with. The software is just HDSDR or some other software package that they downloaded and maybe they update from time to time. But even the lines of code that are there, I think very few hams are actually involved in modifying the lines of code. And then I have to say, I mean, it's, it's just this is just a matter of preference. But, um, I mean, and it's a hobby and every, people can pursue it in different ways and that's great. The more the merrier to each his own, all that. But for me... I mean, manipulating lines of code to change the skirts on a software filter inside the computer is just very different from changing the values of the capacitors of a, a ladder filter made out of crystals that you designed with the assistance of a program like LT Splice or all digital, all you know, almost all digital electronics or another one of those packages where. You're just figuring out, okay, if I put these caps to ground and these caps off the end of the filter, it changes the characteristic this way. It's, I, I don't know, I guess it's sort of the difference between kind of sculpting with clay in the real world versus drawing something with a computer program. I mean, it's just two different ways of coming up with the creation. But maybe it's just because I'm, you know, from the older generation that I kind of prefer the physical radio, the hardware defined radio versus the SDR radio. I know it's going to make some people, I hope it don't make anybody mad because I started out by saying, you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. But I'm just telling you from my perspective, what do you think? No, I agree. And I, as you were talking, I thought specifically about the point I mentioned with the 2N3904. I, I was getting some audio reports says, boy, rig sounds great, but you're missing, you have no lows. You have no lows in your signal. So I said, uh, gee, I don't know why I'll, I'll, I'll speak lower, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but so then I, I put the circuit I was using in LT spice and I could see there were no lows. There was a five DB drop off at around something around 600 Hertz. So it's right. Finally, the audio guys uh, say something useful. <clears throat> yeah. So, so then I, I played with the circuit values and all of a sudden now at, at about 200 Hertz, it jumps and it's flat. And I get no more issues about, well, your signal has no lows in it. Because I had a problem. I looked. I simulated the problem. I came up with a solution. And I changed the values. And now I got a circuit that I'm really happy with. And now I get 
consistent good reports. Gee, your audio sounds really good. But Boom. again, and I think I think <laughs> it would have been. I think that's a much more satisfying way to work on the problem. Yeah. Than than just going to menu item number thirty six and changing it from eight to two or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Which is unfortunately what what you hear discussed so often on the on the ham bands today. That's sort of the the level of the technical discussion, which I think is 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 very very limited. But but again, to each his own. I, I'm going to actually tell you how to do that in SDR. Okay, there's this software program called Iowa Hill Software, and there are 60 points. There's 60 point coefficients that you have to develop to change that bandwidth. There's 60 coefficients. They run it for you, but you have to introduce those 60 points into your software. It ain't that easy, <laughs> let me tell you. And, no, seriously. Uh, and and you can see you, they have a little graphic there. You change the 60 coefficients. But when you tune it and you finally want to change it, you may want to change it from a low pass to a band pass. Iowa Hill Software, it's a free download. If you don't believe me, go, go test drive it. But there's 60 items that you have to enter into your Arduino software to be able to do that. Oh, man. <clears throat> All right, what else? What, looking back at the SSB, the year of the SSB transceivers, what other tribal knowledge or wisdom can you pull out of this whole thing for us? What other, what other things did you think about as you were doing this, as you were burning your fingers on the soldering iron? Well, okay, we're going to get into it now. I have convinced myself the only way you can build six transceivers is if you use the Arduino SI5351. <laughs> I mean, just you make a couple code entries and you change the, the frequency. And I, I couldn't see me building six analog VFOs and take it all the time to get it settled. Now I just... I have a standard. I have a standard way of building them, and I'm off and running. You asked. I told. All right, you. it was my fault. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, but um, one thing. There's a couple segues we have to go through here, but I want. I have on the list one thing to talk about is related to this. It's the first audio from Mars. Oh, I, put this, I yeah. don't know if you saw this, but I put it up on the, on the on the blog, and on the the lander that that NASA put on Mars just last month, the InSight lander, spectacular landing. Um, they have a, a microphone and they also have a, a seismograph that's, that in effect serves as a microphone. And so they're getting from the spacecraft the first recordings of audio, of sound, of wind on the Martian surface, which I thought was really interesting. So I have a link to it up on the... Um, on the on the solder smoke blog if you scroll down a little bit kind of into november you'll uh you'll you'll hear that and at they, they present like the original raw version first but then because people are listening on different kinds of computer hardware they realize that people might not be able to hear it over their smartphone or over their tablet so they kind of bump it up in octaves and they amplify it but the original is quite quite interesting it and uh, I was just, I, I kind of joked on the blog. I said, how long will it be before the audio experts are out there sending messages to NASA saying, wow, it really sounds awful. Sounds yellowy. Why don't you bump it <clears> up? No present. It has no presence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I joked. I said, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have presence because they're <laughs> yeah. present on the surface of Mars. But um, I thought that was kind of interesting. So you guys might want to take a, take a look at that and listen to that. You know the thought that went through my mind? 
What? There, there's a bunch of guys at NASA listening for Take Me to Your Leader. <laughs> well, what I thought about was something that we've had on our minds here for many years, the Elser Mathis Cup. Yeah, yeah. For those of us who have, for those people who haven't been listening for years and years, this is a, a trophy that is, uh, it was, was developed during the 1930s, I think, or maybe yeah. even earlier. Yeah, it was probably earlier. Probably during the 30s. It was, was carved in the Philippines by, by, uh, by natives of the, of the Philippine Islands and uh, brought back to ARRL headquarters. And it, it, is, it will be awarded to the first radio amateur to establish two-way communications with someone on Mars. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're getting close. <laughs> getting close. Hey, I think I it's something for the next generation, Pete, but somebody's going to win it. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to add one one more postscript because this just floated through my mind. And you mentioned about Pasta Pete. I was having a QSO with a guy in the state of Missouri, and he was telling me it was really cold out. There was eight inches of snow on the ground, and it was like uh, his time was like five or six o'clock. He had the wood stove on, and he said, boy, it's really cozy in here. He said, what is really cool? He said, my wife is making meatloaf tonight. And he said, I can smell that meatloaf <laughs> in the shack. And he said, the best part, I'm going to have a meatloaf sandwich tomorrow when I go to work. Guess what? Two days later, <laughs> I had to make meatloaf. I kept thinking about that guy <laughs> in the shack there. You, you see, this is, this, Pete is yeah. a responsive, he's got a responsive blog and website. So you, you, the individual solder smoke listener, or Pasta Pete Visitor, have the opportunity to influence what our host here will be cooking yeah, during the weeks yeah. ahead. And this could it. affect, I mean, this could affect the diet of people <laughs> far and wide across the world. Who knows? People, you know, people in Sri Lanka or Indonesia we'll have <laughs> or Siberia could be eating meatloaf yeah. because of, of Pasta Pete. All right. Well, so here's the other thing I want to ask our listeners to do. Our listeners have a lot of power on the internet. Take that link that I put on there, Pasta Pete, and put it up on your Facebook page. Let all your friends and relatives know about it. Take a break from all the politics and all that stuff. Promote Pasta Pete. And if you do that, I'm sure that that hit counter on your Pasta Pete site is going to start really going. And we could have a we could have a real movement on our hands here. This could go become, viral. You go could viral. go viral. <laughs> you don't want the cooking channel to go viral. That's kind of a bad vibe. But uh, <laughs> could gain a lot in popularity. But go ahead and do that. Promote it. Put it up on your Twitter feed, on your Instagram, on your Facebook, all that stuff. The link is right there on the Solder Smoke blog in the lower right. And promote pasta, Pete. Let's see what we could, what what will happen here. Right, but you might have to start spending more time cooking than than on the radio. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I'm okay. I'm already planning Christmas. You know, it's All like right, yeah. ten days away, and I'm I'm already working. By the way, that's that's why Pete is up at what they used to call in the military "O oh, Dark 30. Yeah, because he's got such a busy day because the holiday season is upon us. Happy holidays, Pete. Happy holiday. Anyway. He um, he had to get up at 5 a.m. in California, and that's even that's even earlier in California. <laughs> five 5 a.m. on the East Coast is sort of normal. <laughs> 5 a.m. on the Cal- California Two. is kind of like e- that's bedtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just crawling into bed. Yeah. <laughs> Although as a postscript, I I still float through my mind. He said he was looking forward to his meatloaf sandwich the next day with mustard. I I'm not 
sure I know how many people eat mustard. Ketchup? <laughs> but I'm not sure mustard. But mustard. it's the Midwest. It's the Midwest. It's supposed to be a Missouri thing. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Uh, yeah. But up, up where you're from in Pennsylvania, that never would have happened. Huh? Uh, no, no, uh-huh. no, no, no. Hey, um, we were talking about adjusting filters there a minute ago before we kind of drifted into meatloaf. But um, which was great, by the way. It, it makes me. I'm, I feel like feel like when I get a meat get a meatball sandwich for lunch, yeah, yeah. meatloaf sandwich. Yeah. Hey, uh, um, but back to radio. The um, you were talking about adjusting filter width, and this brought to mind something that we had on our list to talk about, and that's Han Summers and the QSX. Uh, uh, oh man, if uh, you guys have you seen the video? I mean, talking about going viral. In ham radio terms, there's a YouTube video. It's only about four or five minutes, but it's Hans Summers giving a preview of not just the QSX, but most specifically the spectrum analyzer that he has built into the QSX that allows you to use the test equipment in the rig to adjust the filter characteristics, especially on the bandpass filter coming in, it is super impressive. I mean, all the bad stuff I just said about SDR rigs, when I watch that video, me, I'm tempted to go down that route just because it's just so impressive technologically. Did you see where he takes the little 16 by 2 display that he has yes. on that thing? Yes. I mean, a 16 by 2 display is about the size of your thumb. Your whole thumb, if you look at it, that's that's what we're talking about. And so he usually we're, we're used to seeing those displays with a couple of numbers. My the one on my Digitia says N26CQR Digitia, and then it gives the frequency, and that's about it. But Hans has designed a display that is basically a kind of a small oscilloscope display that will display the frequency bandpass of the filter inside the rig whoa that was awesome i mean well well even more than that you have adjustments that you just like on your oscilloscope you can raise the amplitude or the bandwidth i know but then for me the most amazing thing is he's got this thing going and so you see in little 16 by 2 display i mean the whole rig's about the size of the palm of your hand your open hand and but but he says okay watch and at the end you'll see he reaches into the rig with the little screwdriver and he's going to adjust the capacitors in the bandpass filter at the front end of the receiver and as he does it you can see the 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 the, the little the basically the little oscilloscope the oscilloscope is the size of your your kind of your thumbnail right maybe max and as he's changing the capacitor's value, you could see the shape of the bandpass filter changing. Wow. And, and he also lets you tune below and above the bandpass. Uh, so, uh, so that you could say, do I have anything on the skirts, <laughs> on the lower skirts and the upper skirts? Yeah. And he makes and he, it's four, and it's four, four, four segments. And it's amazing because and he makes a really good point. And that's about, you know, m- most, a lot of us use kind of dual bandpass filters. So it's basically two tank circuits linked at the top by a small value of capacitance. But he, he points out that they're tricky to tune if you don't have double, a spectrum the spectrum analyzer. Instead of the flat. It, 
because you could you could tune them wrong and, and and when you tune one it affects the the frequency of the other slightly and so if you do it wrong you could get a lot of attenuation in that filter that you don't want you right have in to the do center. It, yeah right in the center and and it could you could really end up really hurting yourself so that's why this this particular piece of, of test gear in there is uh, is really really useful but man you take a look at this thing and you realize that qsx is going to take off the thing is going to be that's the next hot thing and I, I wrote on the blog i said you know i again i'm a kind of committed hardware defined radio guy but when i saw this thing i said this this could tempt me over into the sdr dark side yeah yeah and you know the thought that went through my mind he's not offering it for sale yet because he wants to go through all the process of getting all these things to work and and I know guys are chopping at the bed. How come you're not selling it right now? Well, he said, I want to go through and make sure all these things work. So when you get something, it's it's had a lot of testing behind it before it's put in your hands. So I think that's really good. I think it, it, it's amazing. You know, it's, <laughs> it follows up on a success with the QCX, which was the CW rig from last year. But that was a very different rig. That's That was a very analog uh, rig. It really interesting because it uses the phasing method, which we'll we'll talk about here in a second. But there's something else. I want to say something else positive about SDR rigs. As long as I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going to make up for it. I know. Brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going to be too much. But I was fooling around a little bit with the uh, SDR RTL dongle, which is a real simple. It's like a twenty buck receiver that you could use. But you know, and I I just I'm using it at VHF so I can see all the repeaters in the area on the waterfall. And, you know, waterfalls have become sort of standard for most of the guys who are on with commercial rigs. But, you know, with homebrew rigs, we don't use them that much. So when I use the RTL SDR dongle, it's kind of good because it gives me some insight into this world of SDR and waterfalls where you can see the entire band or the entire HF spectrum. And you could see all the frequencies, but it, Pete, it made me realize something just playing around with it. I've known for a long time, it's really good to be able to see the whole band, but the other thing that that's often not mentioned, and I think most people who use them just take it for granted. You're also able to look at the band back in time, right? Cause you could change the settings on how fast that waterfall is moving, right? So it's not like you're just checking what's on each of these frequencies now. If you do the settings right, you could look back, I guess, several minutes, which is important because that's the problem when we tune around with the radios or the way we've done since the time of Marconi, where you just tune up and down. I didn't hear it. Nobody's on. Yeah, when you swing past the frequency, if he's not transmitting at that particular moment, you don't know it. It sounds like nobody's there. Whereas if you look at the, the waterfall, you could see, oh, he's not there right now, but there's a there's a station in there. And he's been transmitting on and off over the last, you know, four or five minutes or so. So, wow, we can't we can't do that with coils and capacitors. I well, hate the, to admit it. Yeah, we can't. The, the other thing that that shows you is the band starting to close. Yeah. Or the band starting to open. You you know you could see a whole bunch of signals down here, and then all of a sudden you're starting to see less and less and less. You know the band is shifting. Yep. No, no, it's uh, it's an amazing tool. So there, so there, I said good stuff. Have you heard SDR anything rigs. more about when he's going to be putting it for sale? Uh, people are saying still a couple of months away. 
I didn't. I didn't hear. I, I was so blown away by the uh, by by what I was seeing technically on the on the site. I didn't. I, mean, I don't. I didn't pay attention at the end. But it's really cool. He when you look at this thing, when you look how he's 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 showing one of the prototypes, and it looks like one of our homebrew radios. It's got this kind of beat up <coughs> cabinet. You could tell that he struggled to get the rectangular holes in there the right way. But it's got a real homebrew feel to it but then you know he's he's got the the software and the the digital circuitry in there functioning so well it's just just amazing but did you uh, notice he uses two encoders i saw that yeah 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 yeah. and you see he's got the series of push buttons on the front yeah yeah four push buttons there yeah and there's some potential there that qcx that's going to shake things up, you know. I, I there's a there's a group on on uh, Facebook that I joined. It's called Ham Radio on a Budget, and I did because I th- some of the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast would be of interest to these guys. So occasionally I'll put stuff like that on there. I don't think they're really quite oriented towards our kind of concept of budget ham radio. They're more in, into kind of what's the best. How could you buy a rig for six thousand bucks? <laughs> That's yeah. on a budget, right? Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's it's a different world, but we'll we could talk about that. Hey, but talking about the other world, I, I put something up on the blog, and uh, Farhan alerted me to this. Uh, you know, West W7ZOI really started the the direct conversion revolution in a QST article back in 1968, and we're at the 50 year point. And he came up with a retrospective on it, you know, and so um, he he came up with this with with kind of a retrospective look at the DC re- receiver, and uh, and I, I I thought it was really cool. It's a nice article. It was on it's on Wes's uh, personal website, but I have a link to it on the blog, and it's it's really interesting as he looks back at the design process that went into bringing direct conversion to ham radio as a as a technique. And I, the article really, one of the things that I got, I was really taken aback by was the use of the term presence, because we joke about these things like it's got presence, it's got, it's, it's, it's got sparkle, you know, things like that. We joke, but I guess we have to be more, a little bit less irreverent about presence because presence was first used, I think, by the man himself. Doug DeMaw. Yeah. No, yeah. Doug DeMaw. Oh, Doug DeMaw. Oh. In the article, he says Doug was, when, when, when Doug first listened to the, uh, to the direct conversion receiver that I think had been sent up to ARRL headquarters, because in the article, Wes talks about how he sent one up there and let them listen to it because they had been thinking that it was just some sort of gimmick or a toy. But they listened to it, and, and I think DeMaw remarked that it had real presence, which... I, I can understand it because that's what that is the sensation you get when you listen to the direct conversion receiver. It's it's hard to describe, you know, what how it's different, but it just feels like you're listening more directly to the RF as it crackles across the ionosphere and through the so-called ether. But um, I, I thought it was it was a good article. I think you guys would would like it. It's not too long, but I have a link to it up on the. Uh, up on the blog page. I, I would like to retitle that. It's what? amazing what you can do on your lunch hour. Uh, I know. Yeah. 
I mean, that was he. He tells you that that's how he worked in that thing. He and another guy, it was the place where he was working at. At lunchtime, they'd go up to the lab. <laughs> well, you know, I, the, the, this lunch. I'm sure a lot of guys do this. And there was a time when I was doing kind of ham radio design stuff on my lunch hour. When I was when I was, and it's related to to Doug Demore. When I decided, I think this was probably back in 1996, 97, I decided that I was going to take a shot at building Doug Dumas' bare-bones superhead, the Barbados receiver. And I had a, I guess I had some bad experiences earlier with receiver projects that failed, so I was going to try to be real careful about this one. Herring 8-5! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Herring 8-5, I was traumatized. But this was uh, using 40673 dual gate MOSFETs, your old friends. Yeah. And it was a real simple receiver. It had the uh, the crystal filter at 3.58 megahertz because Doug didn't want to spend any money on anything. He admitted it. But I, one of the things I had to do, I, this was before I had discovered uh, the Manhattan technique. So I, I was really still building with kind of circuit boards and ferric chloride and all that. And so I wanted to be real careful. So I had broken it down, as you said, by module. And so for a while there, I would go to work with the, the schematic or portion of the schematic in my pocket and a couple of index cards. And when lunchtime rolled around at the State Department, I'd go into the State Department library. I would look at the schematic. I would have the, the index card with about the size of the board that I knew I'd be working with. And I would just, I would just lay out the, uh, what, what the, what the etching ferric, pattern, what, yeah, the etching pattern, trying to keep inputs out of, away from outputs, trying to come with the kind of optimal parts placement. And I think I have some of those drawings in the solder smoke book, but that was sort of lunch, lunchtime electronic design. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably the only one who ever did it at the state department. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting article on the, the, the miscellaneous potpourri thing for today. I saw something that surprised me. I don't know if you guys remember, but, um, on the subject of solar flares in Aurora, I have this memory from childhood of a time when mysterious colored lights appeared in the sky over our suburban home north of New York City. And I remember it distinctly. And I, I, I always wondered what it was, never knew, nobody ever explained it to me. But then with the advent of the internet and all kinds of archival material, I just started digging around and looking at like major solar events that affected the, the lower uh, latitudes. And sure enough, August 1972, there was a really major solar flare and it resulted in Aurora going down all, all down the East coast in the United States. And that's almost certainly what we saw. So it was kind of cool. So I just, I put, I made note of that on the blog. We talked about it a little bit and I said, okay, great. I, you know, now I, now I can put an actual event, verified event together with my childhood memories but just last week, I don't know if you saw this, but another article about this particular solar flare came up. Did you see this? Yeah. Oh, man, this is amazing. And and it, it has to do with stuff that's in your personal history, too. Do you know that they now believe that the magnetic impulse f 
from this solar flare was so strong that it set off mines in off the coast of Vietnam. This was the, the final days, well, kind of close to the final days of the Vietnam War, 1972, August 72. And the U.S. Navy had placed sea mines. Yeah. I guess off the off the coast of Vietnam. So they're out there floating, trying to prevent ships from going into and out of Vietnam. And, you know, they're apparently they work in part by magnetic sensors to, to, de- to detect the, the metal of a ship going past them. But this pulse, all, all of a sudden... A bunch of these mines just exploded, <laughs> <laughs> and and nobody really knew why until somebody recently started looking at it and correlating it with solar e- activity. EMP, yeah. There you go. Wow. So, this I just kind of a weird kind of follow up story on that. But you were, you were back from Vietnam at that point. Oh yeah, you were, yeah. You were, I was out of the back. service you, already. You, you were there early. Yeah. Hey. Um. Okay. Now is the time. For the Shameless Commerce Division. There you go. I know many of you are thinking about making purchases for your loved ones. It's that time of year. Happy holidays, Pete. Happy holiday. Um, when you do it, please go to the Amazon link in the upper right-hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog. And you'll see there, you just begin your search there. And, you know, then because you, you start there, we get a piece of the action from Mr. Bezos and the Amazon suits. So it's a good way to do it. It's a good way to help out the solder smoke enterprise. And plus we're really happy about this now because solder smoke, because, uh, head HQ two of Amazon in the hood coming right here, man, right down the road in the hood. That's it. We're all going to be rich. Yeah, somehow yeah, yeah. in the hood. <laughs> well, actually it's going to be good. They're going to build a big, um, kind of high tech campus. Uh, close to the Amazon headquarters, which is going to be down right down by National Airport. So it actually is quite close. So it's good. So good three cheers for Amazon, and and don't forget to use them when you do your holiday purposes purchases, and we'll we'll get some money from that. Also, some of you might not have the Solder Smoke book, Solder Smoke yeah, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics. Let your uh, <clears throat> let your 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 spouse or, or children know about that. They can order it, and the links are on the uh, on the page. On the on the on the Mark blog page, I heard some of those links aren't working. I'm going to fix them eventually. But if you search in Amazon Books and you just put solder smoke, we're the only ones <laughs> that'll pop up. You can get it through there, reasonably priced. I think it would be good a good stocking stuffer for for radio amateurs. And this is sort of along the same lines, although there's not no commercial element here yet. Visit Pasta Pete's site. And the link is at the bottom right of the Solder Smoke blog page. By the way, I, I already know what I'm getting, and it's it's not a radio thing from, from the XYL. I'm getting an SUV. That's Really? So, yeah, socks, underwear, and vitamins. <laughs> oh, man, you got to be going there. And you said that before. I should, I should, be, I should be attuned to these things now. <laughs> well, you're probably better off because if you start, you start cruising around Southern California with your beret on and a new SUV, you'd be in real trouble, yeah, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you're probably better off with the socks, underwear, and vitamins. Pete, this brings us to another thing we wanted to discuss. And this is the sage advice that you put out. <clears throat> kind of yes. difficult here. Yes. This was kind of paradoxical, kind of surprising, kind of ironic coming from the laboratory, the mad 
the mad scientist at the laboratory of Newberry Park. And that was Pete's advice put up on his blog not long ago entitled, Don't Build It. Buy it. <laughs> Explain this to us, Pete. What this was this all about? Well, Contrarian advice from, yeah, from the wizard. Yeah, well, I some people didn't understand what I was trying to do. I was really trying to make the case that uh, if you really want to get into this hobby, as as the early foundations were, people built all their gear. They didn't go out and buy it. And and the problem is, most folks who who say, "Yeah, I want to take up homebrew," don't really understand what it takes to do that. First off, you got to know something. <laughs> it means you got to do a little studying. You Very unfair. About, Very you, unfair. You got to know about Ohm's law. <laughs> Oh, you got to know about LC circuits, and and you got to have something more than a two dollar ninety five cents, you know, VOM to to get in into building stuff, and you need a soldering iron, you know, and it's just so many guys. Or what'll happen? Typically, happen is like on the sudden transceiver, the receiver. I went through great lengths on, on my website to take more detail than just the article about building the receiver, and I'll get a question that says. Oh, yeah, how do you do this thing? I didn't understand that from the article. I said, did you read the website? Oh, yeah. I said, well, did you go down about this far and read that? Oh, I guess I missed that. <laughs> and and there's big letters. RTFM, yeah, RTFM. The big letter said, before you do this, do this. And, and you know, you just get, get emails from people like that. And I, 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 just, I just say, if you wanted to do some homebrewing, these are the things you need to do, you know, get some learning, understanding, get some reference material, get some test gear, uh, you know, really understand how circuits work and start small, you know, saying, having never homebrewed anything before and say, I'm going to build an SSB transceiver, you're going to fail. <laughs> a guarantee. Yeah, I know. Start, start I know. with the Michigan Mighty Might, you know, eight components and you're there. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is really interesting because I think. I mean, I'm with you 100%. We've always been talking about this when guys would write in and say, hey, I want to build an SSB transceiver. And you say, have you built anything before? Well, no, but I just want to do it. Well, you tell them, well, start out slow. And that's why we did the whole, um, you know, the the oscillator, the, the color burst liberation army. Yeah. All that, you know, maybe build a direct conversion receiver. receiver. Sure. Take it slow. Don't You don't want to kind of bite off more than you can chew. But people are impatient. They don't want to follow that advice. So you get a lot of frustrated people and these are the folks who send you mail saying your transceiver design sucks. doesn't work <laughs> it sucks <laughs> and i'm angry about it but uh um yeah the, but you also see some of this and it's it's this is i think doubly ironic because it wasn't supposed to happen here but even in the world of the micro bit x and the bit x 40 there are guys who I mean, see, they, they, they don't really see the BitX40 or the micro BitX, I think, as it was intended. It was intended to be the anti-appliance rig, right? This was supposed to be a rig that would be sort of a gateway into the world of homebrewing because you would get this board with the circuits on it, and your technical contribution was very limited. You just put it in a box, hooked up the controls, and then this at least got you a rig that wasn't so expensive that you'd be afraid to modify it. But you see a lot of messages from guys who get the rig and 
they can't get the BIDX 40 or the micro BIDX going, and then they get angry about it. It's like, you know, it's almost like I, I, I expected it to be an appliance, and I expected it to work sort of like my toaster works, you know, and, and so that, that becomes kind of, I think it becomes frustrating for all involved. So I was kind of intrigued by your don't build it advice. I know it was a bit tongue in cheek, but, um, got a lot of comments. <laughs> all supportive, I suppose. Uh, most of them. Yeah. But you know, to that end, just yesterday I got a, I got two strange emails. First email says, BitX 40. How did you build it? Four minutes later, I'm asking you again, <laughs> BitX 40. How did you build it? <laughs> so I said, well, I, I, I don't understand, you know, where's this coming from? I said, but if you went to my website in excruciating detail, I said, but you do not have to know what end of the soldering iron is <laughs> to get started. Poor fellows in therapy now, Pete. You did it, man. You, you traumatized them. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the way you started off like a demand, you know, how did yeah. you build that? Yeah. Yeah, I know. You gotta, and you got to remind people it's just a hobby, you know. You know, yeah. you're not getting paid. And, you know, and so... The other thing I think people don't realize is, like you said, it requires some knowledge. You got to have a few books. You got to read in it and uh, and and understand it. And that's another thing you notice with a lot of folks on the uh, with the with the, the X forty. I mean, the beauty of the X forty is the circuitry is so simple that with even a basic rudimentary kind of understanding of electronics, you could look at the schematic, look at the board, and figure out what's going on in each of the stages. But from a lot of the questions that you see, there's there's not even that. And so people will make all kinds of comments. I mean, it's it's like at the level where people will report that your audio is distorted because they're tuned a little bit off zero beat on a sideband signal. So they'll hear the Donald Duck sound and say, there's something wrong with the rig because I'm hearing distorted. Or even even more basic, and this is an interesting kind of, I guess it's kind of a generational thing sometimes, but if they hear static, like static coming coming across the, uh, the the radio, they um they get they get upset about that. There's something wrong. There's this static coming out of the radio. Well, yeah, it's not a CD player. <laughs> so anyway, I I thought that was intriguing, and people should take a look at Pete's article. And send all the hate mail to him, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I, I had another interesting experience in 40 meters. I'm in QSO on one of the one of the six rigs that I built, and this guy says, "Oh yeah, it sounds really good." He said, "But you're not on frequency." So I said, "Okay, oh, here we go." Here okay, we go. so another guy chimes in and said, "Look, you don't know what you're talking about." He said, "He's only about 30 hertz off. I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain about that." So go away. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's but we can tell that somebody's 30 Hertz away, 30 Hertz off, you know, that's where this hobby's gone. Well, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about the reaction, the, 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 the kind of annoying, well, your rig sounds really good for a homebrew rig. Yeah. You know, right. Uh, good. Yeah. Good. But I, you, you do get strange reactions and I, I, I mean, most people are quite gracious and they, they're, I'm, I'm always delighted when somebody asks about the rig, I kind of. I have to kind of constrain myself because it control myself because I'm like the, the proud papa who won't shut up about how great his kid is at soccer. So I want to talk about the bid X, right? Right. So, but, but then I'll say, but, but you asked, so let me tell you the story. And, and most guys are really interested in it, but you do run into some folks who 
who for some reason seem actually hostile to the idea one guy just said well i wouldn't be interested in that at all that's not what i want i will and he said to me almost kind of proudly he said i want to be able to buy something and have it work right okay that's a completely different approach that's uh that is sort of the appliance approach that's like you go to the store you buy the TV set and you expect it to work right. You don't want to. It's just. It, I guess it's a, just a different approach to ham radio. This guy who wrote to me about the SDR, I, I said to him, you know, I was trying to explain my kind of aversion to this kind of plug and play, kind of commercial kind of appliance technology. I said, you know, I I have it. I have a really good SDR radio. I do. It's in my pocket. It was produced by Apple. It's called an iPhone, and you know. But I don't have any kind of emotional connection to it. I have no real understanding about how it operates. I'm certainly not going to crack it open to fix it. And, you know, it's sort of, for me, because it's in the same category as the toaster and the refrigerator <laughs> and the TV. <laughs> but anyway. Hey, hey, hey while, while we're here, this is not intended to be political, but but you said something that was interesting. The, the guy that hits Google was was testifying before Congress, and, oh, and one of that. these one of these congressmen says, "How come I can't do this on my iPhone?" And he said, "Sir, <laughs> we don't make the iPhone." <laughs> <laughs> Some somebody said that somebody said that these these are the these are the guys who can't make their VCR stop flashing twelve. Yes, yes, yes. I know, I know. Yes. Well, I guess I guess this these they're not even they're not even qualified for the appliances. Happy holiday, Bill. Happy holiday, Pete. Anyway, we, a few more things. We were approaching. Wow, we've we've already burned through more than an hour here, Pete. Yeah, but it's a wrap up, Bill. It's a wrap, it's a wrap up, up for 2018. Yeah. Okay, looking ahead, I again find myself thinking about what to do with my HW101. Got to do something with it. You you were the one who started me on this trail, and I like it because it's got a nice, stable, analog VFO running around 5 megahertz in there. All right? It's got an IF. It's, it's dual conversion. The first IF is around 8 megahertz. Yes. And then... And then the other one is the standard, like what, 3.85? 3.395. 3 3.395 Heathkit, second IF. It's got all the crystals in there to cover the bands. It's just got to be solid stated. So this might be a project for later next year. We'll see. But it's it's there, and it's kind of calling me. So I'm, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to. Well, no, well, first thing I do is rip out that 6AU6, and I'd put a FET in there. Yeah, I know, but I, see the thing is, I don't want to have it like half solid state and half tubes, because that makes it really dangerous. Because you're working on the solid yeah, state circuitry, yeah. and then boom, you. Put <clears> no, I'm just saying you you got you've got the aside from the tube, the other components are stable VFO. That's that's yeah. the point I was making. You you yeah, want to yeah. you want to put a FET in there and get rid of that. I uh, get rid of that thing that's sitting up yeah, on the top yeah. of the VFO. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> Um, oh, my, my homebrew tuner outside, I worked on that a little bit. I've got my, my kind of Rube Goldberg coil and capacitor, uh, balanced tuner for the, uh, it must the, be warm out if you're out there working on your tuner. Well, the thing is I had it exposed to the elements and it, and it was getting, there was getting water was blowing in there and leaves <laughs> uh, were getting in there uh, in the variable capacitor. So I, I went to the, to the hardware store and I found just this like plastic, like base tub, a like, box. Yeah. Tub. And I drew, drew, 
drilled a couple holes in there and it fits perfectly on a couple of screws and now hangs over there. It's quite professional looking, I must say, but I do still have to step outside if I want to change bands. In the winter, this causes you not to change bands too frequently. <laughs> hey, yeah, the other thing, I took my HT37 off the operating table and I put it, I hid it kind of underneath the workbench and I don't like it there. I don't like it there. It, it makes, the Drake 2B looks lost without it. So I think I'm going to have to take this thing out. It is a beast. I'm likely to injure myself just moving this thing around the shack. It's 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 heavy like DX100 heavy. This thing's got a lot of iron in it. Holy cow. But I might go in there and just, I think it needs a, a, a strong application to deoxid. And I'm thinking about working on it. I might work on it this weekend a little bit because you know straight, straight key, key night, night. Yeah. is approaching. And if you, do, if you don't participate in straight key night, you're wrong. <laughs> you got to do it. You got it. Come on, Pete. Make a couple of contacts there. I know you're against it, but just I, I do it because it just seems like the right thing to do. So I might work on that. Hey, uh, uh, I want to mention a couple of books and a movie before we go to the uh, um, uh, the mailbag. But uh, I found a book that I'm reading. I'm kind of interested in it. It's uh, the title is What Is Real. It's about quantum physics. There you go. And and about the, the the level of reality or unreality. I mean, I've always struggled with this because I know how the waves are produced on my 40-meter dipole, how the, the current going down, the, the whole Hertzian wave thing, the magnetic field that develops the electric field and vice versa, and boom, Bob's your uncle and off goes the waves. But I've always had a tough time figuring out how photons, how 7 megahertz photons fit into that whole uh, there thing. You go. There you go. This this book kind of doesn't get into the ham radio stuff, but but answers those questions. A second book that I want to recommend, I didn't even know about this one. This is on Hans Summer's site. It's uh, written by Leonard Anderson, K6LHA, and it's called the um, the uh, the amateur radio or that or the or the radio design book. Um, and I forget the exact title, but I have it. No, oh, it's called the RHDB, the radio. Um, Ham's design book, or the Radio Hobbyist design book, that's it, by Leonard Anderson, K6LHA. It's free, and Hans has the whole thing on his website. I put a link up on the blog to it this morning, so there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's, it reminds me of the Frank Harris book from Crystal Sets to Sidebands, and really, really useful, so I would check that out. I went to a movie. My wife took me to the movies and we went to see a movie that seems to have absolutely nothing to do with ham radio. Bohemian Rhapsody. Queen. There's a connection. Queen. Queen. Not Freddie Mercury. Right. But Brian May, the lead guitar, astrophysicist, got a PhD. I got to talk to him on the phone one time when I was in London. But really interesting guy. So we liked that movie. So it was fun. It was not a ham radio flick. I, I missed the first man. The, the Neil Armstrong movie. It was in the movie theaters only about a week. I missed the whole thing, so i got to wait for that to come up on Netflix. But that the Neil Armstrong movie looks good. Pete, time for the mailbag. <clears throat> we only got a couple items here. But um, one was a note from, uh, from Steve, G0FUW, our friend over there with the GQRP club. And he writes, Oh, great wizards of the solder smoke. 
He spells it in the British way. Ooh. Sodder. There you go. I think that's a shot. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive you, Steve. He says, just a wee note to let you know that I've spent a very happy one and a half hours listening to Sodder Smoke 207 whilst, very British, whilst, whilst building an OXO transmitter with the faint odor of ferric chloride wafting through the shack. Saturdays don't get much better than this. You're welcome, Steve. My latest class have asked for a simple RF project to give them some practice with soldering. At first, I thought a simple VXO would allow them to know the joy of oscillation, but then I thought, why not add another transistor and get them going on the GM3 OXX Challenge and get them membership in the UK CBLA, United Kingdom Colorburst Liberation Army, an allied force. So assuming this thing fires up, I'll be making up 10, count them 10 OXOs, and handing them out 3.579 crystals. Tell us how this is going, uh, Steve. On scratch-built BIDX, Mike, G3VTO, and I made 10 kits for the previous class. I cannot claim to have built them, all of them, but Mike and I did build our own and Elmer the rest. Three cheers to Mike, who drilled all the PCBs. That's fine business. Let us know about that one, too, Steve. Uh, thanks also for asking people to report uh, in with the sprats on your side of the pond. I understand the mail's now getting through. Have yours arrived? I got mine. Mine's here. Thanks a lot, Steve. Must get the kitchen sink cleared before the XYL returns from upholstery class. I hope you got, got your work done in time, Steve. Thanks very much. Good to hear from the GQRP Club guys. Hey, I want to add a postscript to that because I had some communications with Steve. He was telling me his students only like PCBs. I, I was saying, you know, you could build something mad and stuff or ugly stuff. He said, oh, no. <laughs> they want a, they want a p- printed circuit board. I know. I think we have to we have to bend a little on this, Pete. That's what makes them happy. <laughs> did you did you always have a printed circuit board to start off no. with? Huh? No. Uh, no. Uh, but for a long time I thought I had to make one. I had I had to use the ferric chloride. My fingers are still vaguely green from the experience. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we got past that. Now we have Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. We got a, we had a really interesting series of emails from from Ed, KC eight S B V. He writes, Bill, I am building W1FB's universal direct conversion receiver. Good. In W1FB's QRP notebook. Good. I am building the VFO like your HRO-ish receivers VFO that Armand sent me that thing. I haven't heard from Armand in a while. Armand, you got to report in, buddy. We haven't heard from you in a while. Um, I, have, I, I have an MPF-102 in the Altoid tin and the tank and the other caps in a separate metal box. Good move. As prescribed by the master, Doug DeMoor. I had a difficult time getting it to start. I took a blank PCB and carved out areas with my Dremel. The tank was supposed to connect it. But anyway, he talks about struggling with the different values of capacitor. Pete, Pete's tensing up. This is, this is all making him very anxious. He's getting bad memories of pre-SI5351 days. But anyway, we, uh, Pete pointed out correctly that this is all part of the learning process. And Ed, we're glad you just dived into this whole thing. Keep at it. Analog nirvana awaits. Stability. Stability that will rival that of an SI5351 is within your grasp. P. 
Peter's rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> man, what else do we have to talk about, Peter? I'm, I'm at the end of my line here, man. Well, Bill, it's been an exciting year in our hobby. It's been an exciting it year because there's been many, many new things hit the forefront. Actually, this has been the first full year of the microbitics being, being on go. the scene. Uh, we have soon things to hit the scene, such as the uh, QSX. I mean, pretty pretty exciting. So uh, uh, lots of firsts, uh, just really, really, really amazing where the, where the pin has moved. Displays. There's been so much happening in displays. Like uh, uh, you are the display master, my no, friend. You, no, you, Jack W A T E has got the has got the touchscreen display for the microbitics. You can, the Jack L board. Jack L board. Yeah, look at that. Wow, that's a, we got we got to look at that. So much good stuff. Yeah. Lots of happy home brewing awaits. Maybe the sunspots will be coming up back up a little bit. We might. I hope we're at the low point. Fifteen meters. 17 meters. There you go. 17 meters. Yeah, I missed 17 meters. All right. Hope for the best. And we'll say to everybody, happy holidays. Happy holiday. See you in 2019. And stay tuned because you never know when the next transceiver is just around the corner. Do you mean 2019 will be a continuation? Is that? Yeah, you I, did, I didn't, didn't say that. <laughs> I said, stay tuned. <laughs> Oh, man. It's a man of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays, yeah, Pete, listen, from Northern hey, Virginia. Yeah, enjoy having your kids home. I know this is an exciting time. They'll both be home from college on, on break, and you get a chance to spend time with the family. Just just an amazing time. So uh, have a... I know you're going to have a good time. You know you're going to do a lot of cooking. Oh, yeah. So you have a great time with your family, too. Seven threes to everybody Except, from Northern Virginia. Yeah, best of the holiday season from the left Seven, coast. So, and, for, and from the and from the right coast. Seven hey, three. You bet. Bye bye. Ciao, Pete. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Soldersmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Soldersmoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!